Hi there, folks. My name is Emily. And I'm Elt. And this is Oh My Word, a podcast where we discuss books, movies, musicals, TV shows, etc., and give you an idea of the content and the messaging so that you can be a more informed consumer. Yes. And we even have a handy guide to help with that, which is our pearl clutching scale about how many pearls must be clutched in the viewing or reading of this piece of work. <laughs> what a piece of work. So <laughs> pearl scale, uh, zero language, language, violence and romance, zero to four, zero being zero, none, which is very good. And four being way too much, way, way, way too much. Think twice before engaging or consuming. Right. Because we're trying to promote clean content here. So the less you have, the better. Exactly. And it's not, this has nothing to do with the quality of the work, because there could be a lot of very high quality stuff that has some not good stuff in it. So this way you just know, right? A good example is like something from Tarantino, who's considered like it when it comes to screenplays and stuff. And there's a lot of not good language and bloodiness and gore in a Tarantino film. So you could be like, well, I appreciate good stuff, but this might not be for me. That's all. You bring up Tarantino a lot. Are you a fan? <laughs> I think it's just an easy go-to and people recognize mm-hmm. who he is. So yeah, you have that. Well, you could say, who's another one? Guy Ritchie's another one that I think there's like an F-bomb and like, he uses F-bombs like commas almost. It is dialogue. <laughs> so he's uh lock, stock and two smoking barrels or uh gosh, what's the other one? Well, I mean, he's got a few stuff, but anyway, so that's him. So he's got a very distinct style. And there's always, there's, there's usually a lot of fun, but there's also mm-hmm. a lot of really bad language. So. Gotcha. What are you willing to engage in? Do you just, do you need actual dialogue or are you just willing to, you know, a bunch of bad words strung together? So that's actually, okay. This is a total side note. Can we go, can we, can we sidetrack a little bit? This has nothing to do with Absolutely. today's episode. There is, everyone talks about The Wire, right? They came out with, with HBO. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe we should actually do an episode on The Wire. I didn't get, I didn't get all the way through the wire because it's supposed to be, not because it's supposed to be one of the most realistic shows about, uh, you know, I guess you could say crime and law and all that sort of stuff. It takes place in Baltimore, right? And it's just supposed to be, I think a lot of people, cops, you know, people in general just say like, this is a very realistic look. No one's entirely perfect in it. Even the cops have their things. So, and you see, it's just a lot of different things. But they have one scene where two cops are coming in to look into kind of like a homicide. And the only word they say is the F word. They just say it with different inflections <laughs> and different like versions of it. And it's an entire like five minute scene where there is no dialogue but the F word. So on the one end, you're like, well, that's kind of clever. On the other hand, you're like, come on, people. <laughs> come on. Yeah. How we can't, this cannot be recommended if this is what you're going to do. And also because it's HBO, right? I think it's HBO. It's HBO. So everything is happening in HBO. Like, oh, we have a girl there when someone's going to have to take her clothes off. No, for no reason, <laughs> but because we can't. So we'll just do that. So I guess that's kind of what they also sort of do that one scene with the F-bomb where it's like, well, <laughs> or the F-bomb is just like, well, we can do this. So we'll do it. And just look at how clever we are. And at the same time, you're kind of like, Man, <laughs> no, I'm recommending you to. Yeah. With all that said, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> That's interesting. It's probably part of the reason I never fully got through the whole uh, 
Mm-hmm. And I got through all of it. Also, there's sort of there's only so much you can handle with uh, the same cop just cheating on his wife over and over again. And you're just like, come on, like mm. figure something else out, find a new storyline, or just don't do this anymore. I don't want to deal with this. Yeah, like random scenes. You just have like a random scene of like also the next cop who's a girl cheating on her girlfriend with a girl, and then apparently we have to see them making out and doing stuff. And it's like I don't need to see this stuff. Clean this up. But HBO is like, we can show everything. <laughs> Speaking of things that are shown, oh, this actually, okay, this will be our segue. We're going to talk okay. a little bit today, kind of something new. We haven't done this before, so, because we're always bringing new and innovative stuff to our podcast, obviously. We're just going to look at some of the trends that are occurring in YA, in young adult uh, literature. And it's not, it's not specifically like a commentary. It's, well, I guess it is kind of a commentary, but it's not about, it's just an, it's just an information thing. Like, oh, hey, these are things that we've noticed. When you look at lists of upcoming books and that kind of stuff, there's a lot of common themes going on here. We did sort of talk about this a couple weeks ago. Not exactly, but we talked about that one book with the polyamorous relationship. Right. And we hadn't read that book, but we were commenting on the fact that polyamory and certain types of relationships are being promoted more today than they ever were like you know it's a specific thing that you're finding more of in books right that's sort of what we're doing today also except that was just one book and this is multiple books that are indicative of a trend right and it's uh it's not specific it's negative or positive according to just what your viewpoint is right and it's also interesting because there are sometimes that are trends that occur in literature or you can say culturally there are trends that occur, but you're specifically talking about books. There are trends that occur sometimes that oh well, either no one saw it coming, no one expected it. They kind of they kind of occur almost naturally or by the market. An example mm-hmm. of that would be Twilight, right? So Twilight comes out and it's a big deal. And it wasn't just that it was a big deal, but when the films came out, they made a lot of money. So even people kind of like to trash Twilight. I never read them. I was never kind of into that, the vampire stuff. But whether or not you like it or whatever it is, one thing that Twilight did is that it proved that the young adult genre can make money. And that might seem a little bit, that's kind of a crude business uh, perspective, but it's a necessary one because it helped, the, the the young adult market was already growing, but it helped kind of explode the young adult market because everything is a business. So publishers have to see, we're going to put a lot of money into this. We have to know we're going to get a return on investment kind of. We have to know there's a real market out there for this. And since then, you know, things have evolved and changed and all this sort of stuff. But that's kind of what Twilight did, especially when the films made so much money. They're like, hey, we can, this is a viable business, you know, product. So after that, there was a massive vampire trend. There were already a lot of people writing vampire and especially people who were writing the supernatural vampire before Twilight happened are kind of like, you know, we were always here. <laughs> like Twilight was not first. So they're kind of like that. Mm-hmm. But that's something that, the publishers didn't necessarily anticipate in the sense that, wow, this is going to be massive. And then all of a sudden, also when there's a trend, they flood the market with it. And that I spoke about this with Diana Ross, Ross at a couple of weeks ago, sometimes they flood the market and then they flood it so much that everyone just gets so sick of it. And so it's become so saturated. They just like cut it after that. And then mm-hmm. if you wrote a great book about it, it might be hard for you to get it out there because everyone's like, no, we're done with this. And it's like, what do you mean you're done with this? You know, you first you saturated the marketplace. Then you decided, okay, now no more. Also, because there's always fans, right? Right. Now, these trends 
specifically, you could say, oh, there might be a response to the culture, but I think it's part of it is a response to the culture and also an attempt to help drive culture because mm-hmm. the, a lot of these trends, they're not necessarily from, oh, this, there wasn't a twilight explosion, you know, money explosion, I, I think, that occurred for these trends. I think a lot of these trends are things that publishers are trying to push. So, mm-hmm. hey, we're looking for more of this kind of book. We're looking for more of this kind of book, right? So that, that is a deliberate, you're just going to say calculated attempt to create more of something, to create right. a trend, which they are kind of doing. So, again, it's not, it's only negative or positive according to what your v- viewpoint of each of the points are. But the ones that we've selected, we haven't selected all of them, but we've selected a few of them. And a lot of these are ones that the publishers are pushing or agents are also saying, hey, I want specifically this. So mm. they're becoming trends now because they've made them trends. And part of that influences culture and culture influences that. So we have both, you know, both elements right. in play. So with that said. With all that lead up. Yeah, with all that lead up, let's talk about some of the trends. Well, actually, the first one, and we've even, we've selected certain books. These are not books, we haven't necessarily read them yet. They're just books that we're using for examples. Books that were very recently published, either within the last month, they're going to be published soon or the last month or two. These are very, very recent books. And again, they're not indicative of everything, but these are ones that are being pushed now. I think they are good sampling kind of of what's out there. So, And for people who need a reminder, Elt is an author in the YA space. So she is very much involved in being aware of what trends are coming up, what are publishers pushing. So this isn't just, we looked online and we saw a bunch of books. Elt knows what she's talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to this, but she does. And so that that's where this trends things come trends thing comes from is that she's in that world, that publishing space, and she sees what um people are looking for. Oh uh, she can point it out to that's us. That's so nice. I feel like I only I only know what I'm talking about on Tuesdays, so lucky for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and also, you know, if you're like, well, is this really true, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, walk into a bookstore and just walk up and down the young adult aisle and it's right there on the cover. You'll see it. So it's not a secret. It's not anything that's like, oh, this conspiracy theory. Like, it's all right there. (laughs) Right. Versus that other book that we spoke about that was not right there for us to see. No. We hope it never becomes a trend. Yeah. (laughs) No. So, all right. So the first trend that we're talking about today is a trend in more... Asian-inspired fantasy, which is so specific because we're not even saying Asian-inspired fiction, specifically Asian-inspired fantasy. Right. Right, like using old myths and old stories from China or Korea or Japan. And the and the one that we did talk about a few weeks ago was also, well, kind of a sci-fi fantasy thing. Which I mean, f- fantasy and sci-fi especially fantasy, are pretty big in YA anyway. But specifically, there's this push for Asian-inspired fantasy. Yeah. There is some also in contemporary. You'll have like a lot of K-pop. Um, you know, what we sort of spoke mm-hmm. is kind of like stories, sort of like mismatched, where, you know, you have, you know, growing up Korean. Oh, oh like P.S. I Love You. Is that what it's called? Right. Right. So she's yeah, Korean and American and kind of balancing that. Wait, to all the boys I love. Oh, yeah, you're right. Before. Oh, P.S. I love you as a different. Oh, I always confuse it. No, oh, P.S. P.S. Love Laura Jean is whatever. I always confuse the title. Oh, yes. Then I can't figure out why I can't find it because that's because, yeah, you're right. To all the boys I love before. So that's, that's also a good example. You have a lot of that in the, 
I won't, I don't know so much because I don't really follow romance and contemporary. Okay, fine. I see what's going on. Dash and Lily also. <laughs> huh? Dash and Lily also. Yes. We talked about Dash and Lily a couple weeks ago and Lily is also yeah. half Japanese. Yes. And this, so this is also something that we see specifically. This, anything that's being published now was signed probably a year or two or three ago, right? Signed for publication. Mm. These are not books that were it takes a long time. Publishing takes a long time. It takes at least a year or two to get a book out, depending on who you're working with and you know what the scheduling is. So now you'll have publishers that are signing books for like 18 months from now or something like that. So that means that they're setting the, the quote unquote, the trend, they're setting it now. And that also means huh. agent um, agents are, are kind of also looking for what either to set the trend or to, you know, see, well, editors are looking for this. So, you know, and I like this kind of stuff. So yeah, I'll be this. So I do remember a couple years ago when I was looking into different agents, they specifically said, we want non-Western. We want non-Western mm-hmm. civilization or whatever based stories. And there was a lot of, there was a big East um, East push and a big Asian push they were looking for. So Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if it was specifically a response. You know, people have been talking recently about violence against Asian Americans or stuff like that. So I don't know if it was specifically a response to that. Or if it was just like, we want, we're done with Western civilization. We want more Eastern uh, regions. So the kind of the good thing of that is that, it, you know, anything that op- opens you up to a new culture, which is especially what a book could do, is a good thing. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Right. There is that. And then, yeah. And then you're also getting more of the Chinese, well, I guess Asian authors across Chinese, China, Korea, Japan, all of them, all of them. Um, all those, that whole region, they're looking also to represent more of that. So it could also just be, oh, we want to diversify our list. We want to show you that we have, you know, Chinese Asian authors. Right. So we have like a few. Interesting. Yeah. So a few examples. You got, um, you got the Red Palace by June Her. That one's, I think just came out. That one just came out. You've got Daughter of the Moon Goddess. They kind of put it under young adult, but I think it's also considered regular. I think they made this one a hybrid as, Young adult and adult. Um, that's by mm-hmm. Sue and Tan. You've got A Magic Steeped in Poison, Judy Arlen. And you also have, see, like the, this one, A Magic Steeped in Poison. And then the, what series is part of? It's part of the Book of Tea number one. So the Book of Tea, either you think, oh, this must be British, or you're like, oh, yes, this is definitely <laughs> like Asian, right? Because if this was America, right. it wouldn't be the Book of Tea. It would be like the Book of Beer or whatever, like, <laughs> you know. Um, it's fine. They also, they put them also like under historical fiction and stuff like that, or just Asian mythology. It's, it's their kind of retelling. So it's, it is interesting. Mm-hmm. Again, when they open you up culturally and you'll see a lot of the covers are very, lots of colors and swirls of colors. Yeah. Three of these all have pretty bright swirls of color. And in fact, if you look at the one and then you go, if you're on Goodreads and you look at one of the books, and then you go over to the right where it says readers also enjoyed. They are referencing each other. Right. And it's it's funny. People, so Goodreads was is a big uh, reader community. People can post their reviews and readers can interact with each other. It's it's a pretty good place. A lot of people started not liking it because Amazon bought it over. So anything associated with Amazon, they don't mm. like. And also they feel like, oh, ever since Amazon bought it over, their customer service, etc., I still think it's a go-to for most readers because it's already so well established, you know, and there are other places that are trying to set up Goodreads. It has for the casual reader, especially even as an author on Goodreads, I, from what, for the basic needs, I feel like it's, it's served well, 
But if you look up a book on Goodreads, you can look up on the right-hand side where it says genres. And those genres mm-hmm. are not just the publisher's genres. Because sometimes when a publisher is going to list genres, they don't, they don't, they only list a, a limited amount. And any, anything associated genre-wise, you know, so the, the publishers are not going to list them all. So the good thing about mm-hmm. Goodreads is that because these are user, it's like reader, user generated is if it's not one of the main genres that the publisher has listed, readers tag it according to like the shelves they create. So readers will be like, oh, you know, this has 10 different, this could be associated in 10 different genres kind of. So, so for example, here, I'm looking at uh, Magic Steep and Poison. So it says genres, fantasy, young adult, fan- fantasy mythology, young adult, young adult fantasy, Historical, historical fiction, right? Because these are on all sub subgenres. Mm-hmm. Fiction, literature, Asian literature, historical, fantasy, high fantasy, fantasy, magic. So e- you see, even just the fantasy has like three different subcategories. You have fantasy myth- mythology, fantasy, high fantasy, fantasy magic, right? So right. the publisher is not going to break it down to select that. They got to choose. But the reader is this way could tag it. So this is always, I, I usually recommend, I'll recommend this, especially to parents who are looking, their kids are getting older and they're looking mm-hmm. for books for them. I'll tell them to look mm-hmm. there because like, look, the readers are going to tell you what's in the book. It, nine times out of 10, sometimes you don't see it. Or it says see top shelves and it's like 200 things are listed and you don't always see it. But nine times out of 10, you'll see what it says there. And then you'll see like, hey, you know, is this what I'm looking for for my kid or not? Right. That's very good in that regard. And then we got, well, just uh, something along the same trend because we'll do one more along the same trend is there's also a big push for black or and or African inspired tales. Mm-hmm. That was actually interesting because a couple of years ago, I mean, kind of understand where this came from is there was, there were a lot of articles. There was a lot of talk about we need more representation on covers, right? Mm-hmm. I don't really, I don't really like where they talk about, Oh, we need more representation. Like this is not like, this is not like the UN, you know, representation. Right. But it did make sense when I saw there was this one author was writing about like, my protagonist is black, but the cover has a white person on it. And you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? And it's also just silly because it's like, what, you think a black person on the cover is not going to sell? Like, what was the industry thinking? Why would it not right. sell? Make a beautiful cover. It's going to sell. It doesn't matter what color the person is. And so yeah. that was also a big push to try to get more, um, We'll see with the Asian, the black, Asian, Hispanic, everything. They were trying to push to get, you know, to have a more multicolored hued uh, on the covers. Hmm. And that, that kind of makes sense. That's, again, the protagonist should match, like, the cover. It's just... Right. That just makes sense. Yeah. And here you have... So sometimes it's also interesting, because sometimes they kind of put African and black as sort of the same trend, even though it's not necessarily. Because, so for example, we have here this book that's called Skin of the Sea. And it's, mm-hmm. you look at the different genres that is part of one of it, it's about, it's black mermaids, right? So that's not specifically, it's a, it's, it's a made up world. So it's not specifically like black mythology or African mythology. It's just, they took mythology and they took all mermaids and all that kind of stuff. And it's a black character who is, who's that. So. Right. That's what I'm like. It's there. interesting. Yeah. Just looking at, um, cause you said it's African slash black. Two of the authors of the books we're talking about actually from Africa, one from Sierra Leone and one originally from Nigeria. And then the other two are one I think is born in LA and the other, oh, looks like she might be English, but of Nigerian and English descent. So it is a little bit of a mix of actually 
having been born and lived in Africa, and then just black. Let's see. So, okay, so that one's Skin of the Sea. That's Natasha Bowen. You've got Blood Scion. Uh, I don't Deborah. There's so many. You know, we should talk about um, that, which we haven't, but there are so many young adult novels with blood in the title. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We should maybe look at that one time. Right, Blood Air is the only one that's coming to mind right now, but I know what we just there did. Have been oh, blood. yeah, Blood Sign, but Blood Sign we just did. Right. Um, the Red Palace. The, it's, the red is indicative of blood, though. So does that count? It's close. And then there's what um, Blood and there's there's multiple. It's interesting. Yeah. Now we're actually gonna have to look for it because now that you said that, it's obviously I know. Yeah, and it's funny how sometimes it seems like certain. Certain titles all sound very similar to each other. There is such as, I don't know, I guess certain things just have a sort of ring tip that they become titles. Actually, actually say the one good thing is that, especially here, we're looking at some of these black and African ones. The covers are pretty distinct. Sometimes, again, when, the, when they're creating a yeah. trend and they're, and they're flooding the marketplace, a lot of times it's like, and this is the one I always go back to, is right now World War II um, historical fiction is, that's what's saturated the marketplace. And all those mm-hmm. covers are very similar looking. It's usually, the back of a woman or two women or two women and a child. And they just put them in a new setting. This one's in a bookshop. This one's on a street. This one's in a field. And it's right. It's literally, they're all not literally, but they seem very interchangeable. This, at least these um, now, maybe when you look at enough of them, then you know, you're going to start seeing certain cover trends, but right as far as similarities, but right now these, these are all looking pretty distinct, which is, which is mm-hmm. also good. Cause you know, don't make them, they don't, Covers are so important, so it's good to to really emphasize making beautiful covers. Right. Anyway, so what's this one? Oh, we have, okay, the Gilded Ones, Namina Forna. Mm-hmm. Oh, here, okay, so this one, this one we could end off with, because this one will lead to, we'll do to the next set of trends that we'll speak about mm. in the next episode. So stay tuned, is here we have a book called The Kindred by Alicia, Alicia Dow. This one's Romance, sci-fi, young adult fantasy, LGBT, LGBT queer, apparently space. So I don't know why space is not the same as science, but I guess it doesn't have to be the same as sci-fi. You'd think it'd be a sub-genre though, instead of its own thing, but it does seem to be its own thing, which is interesting. Yeah. Well, that's also, again, because the readers, you could create any kind of title Mm. for your list. So, and then you can use that or you could create your own. So, yeah. Okay. So good. So anyways, these will call the culture, I guess we could call these. Um, what do we call these? Like cultural trends, but as far as other cultural trends, as in trends of bringing mean? other cultures into, into oh, the Oh, right. That's our first set. And then we'll see. There's more. Yes. There's more to talk about. Oh, yes. There's so much more. Hooray! But yeah, it's just, just interesting to be aware of, you know, what, what's new, what's happening. And I think for those of us who aren't in the publishing world, out what you shared, that it takes, you know, let's say, one year, one to two years for a book to get out there, meaning that most of these books were actually starting the publishing process a year ago. It's interesting to think about how some trends are, like some things might be leading the way and some things might be a reaction too, just depending upon the timing, because it takes a lot of time. Because for those of us who haven't written books, we don't know what that process looks like so it helps to put it in a little bit of context so thank you for sh- see you you have we found something that you really really know what you're talking about <laughs> well okay we're kind of getting a little bit long here but just think about it like this like why are the trends or all the kind of stuff so important because talking about things putting in print 
It either it normalizes it, it opens up conversations about it, and all this sort of stuff. So sometimes mm-hmm. it's just, you know, let's all just go on a, an adventure, you know, that's it. And sometimes it's supposed to be some literary thing about grief or loss or, you know, courage or any of those sort of things. And sometimes it is because we're trying to respond either to what's going on in politics or in the culture or things like that. So if they're responding, let's say, to an anti-something sentiment, they'll be like, we're going to bring more of that into literature. People read more about that and then they'll sympathize and they'll empathize, right? People who read mm-hmm. fiction are usually have higher levels of sympathy or empathy mm-hmm. often. So that's kind of, there is an intention here in all this and not just like, well, this will sell in the marketplace. Anyways. This is part one. We'll do a part two. We should do a part two of this. Let's do it. Thank you so much for listening, folks, and we'll catch you next time. Cheers, people. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Oh My Word podcast. Make sure you're subscribed so you always get the latest episode, and please leave us a rating and a review. And please share the show with your friends. Also, follow us on Instagram at Oh My Word podcast. There we post episode updates, our ratings for each book, and also our personal reading recommendations. Music for the show is by Tim Burke editor is Emily Yaffe. We'll see you next week.